Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. I'd like to just give you a little bit of background information. It's nice to, to know who you're hearing from, right? So this is a South Carolina native, a fourth generation preacher, called to ministry uh, as a teenager, gave up a full ride football scholarship to pursue the call of God got a degree in, in ministry from Lee University and has served the church, many churches and the denomination in so many capacities, literally all around the country. Um, perhaps he, well, as he became the administrative bishop of North Georgia uh, about four years ago, uh, I was immediately impressed by his passion for souls, uh, by his candor. I like a person who just tells it like it is. Um, his focus on souls and, and the fact that he is unashamedly Pentecostal. And so he, he comes to us this morning, perhaps best known uh, for a, a meeting that he started when he was a youth pastor that has become known as Winterfest. And I know many of you grew up in the church, grew up going to Winterfest, and it's the direct, direct result of this man's obedience. And, uh, and, and I have been blessed by that. My children have been blessed by that. And I'm glad that more generations, tens of thousands of people are being blessed each year through that. Uh, I want to leave you with this quote and then uh, invite him up. Miss, Miss Charlotte, his childhood sweetheart, is here. They've been married for many, many years, have two kids, five grandkids. And as I understand it, those grandkids are the best and the brightest and the smartest and the most beautiful children that God ever created. Is that correct? I want to make sure I got all that right. <clears throat> this, is, this is what Bishop says about, about really his life's work. He said, it's my goal and mission to see that the next generation carries the DNA that birthed our church while equipping and releasing them to go further and reach farther than previous generations ever dreamed. And to that I say amen and Godspeed, Bishop. Would you please stand to your feet and welcome Bishop Tom Madden this morning. Bless you. You be seated just a moment. Let me visit. And he's exactly right. Our grandchildren are the most beautiful. Here's what I have found in that journey. You just just keep playing there. That's just beautiful music that I don't hear every Sunday. <laughs> you talk about candor. Here's what I have found about grandchildren. God didn't make ugly grandchildren. Now I've seen a lot of ugly children. shaking her head I shouldn't have said that but no never seen ugly grandchildren and uh, I think I think grandchildren are payback for even having kids and raising teenagers but man what a what a privilege to be in the house of the Lord today and to feel the presence of the Lord to be in this house and uh, so honored to be with the butlers today and look forward to this haven't had this opportunity in three years that we've been in Georgia and uh, what a privilege to be here. And just driving on the property, I know that you have great leadership. I know that God is blessing you 
you got it together. And uh, then to come into the house of the Lord. And here's the thing. It flows from the top. Okay? Never flow. Huh? It don't run uphill. Rolls downhill. And so to come into the house of the Lord today, I know where it comes from. Just feel the spirit of the house and a joy to hear the great music this morning. Not only is it skilled, and I know the difference, it's, it's not a noise. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of noise, but this is good. It's skilled, not only is it skilled, but anointed, taking us into the presence of God. All right, stand with me this morning. I'm going to share a word with you. Uh, Job chapter 42, and they're probably going to put it on the screen. I just felt led to share this story this morning with you. Without question today, we are living in the last few seconds of eternity. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And the last few days of the warfare that we have to endure are going to be the strongest that the church has ever known, that the world has ever known. Corporately and individually, it's going to come. That's part of, of just what we're in. But every battle, every struggle, God is in control, and whatever comes our way gives us a greater degree of spiritual authority than we had before we went into that battle. So I want you to know this morning that God, whatever you brought into the house, whatever you're dealing with, God's in control of it. And we have to persevere through it. And I'm going to share this story with you this morning, personal experience of Job 42. And I love this passage of Scripture. I know exactly where I was going through a difficult season of life. What I like to do during my lunch hour, what I did, I don't get to do as much anymore. I always like to go home, get my stuff on, and run. I can't run anymore, but I walk. But really, it's just my time with the Lord. Nobody bothers me. Nobody talks to me. I control the atmosphere. And I know one day in this experience, going through a difficult time, these words came to me, Job 42, 16. Now, after this, Job lived 140 years saw his grandchildren, saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. And then 17, it says, then he died being old and full of days. I just want to talk to you about those first two words of verse 16. You put that back on the screen. After this, after this. Now, Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Thank you for this house, and thank you for the touch of God that rests here. I know it's here. I just pray you would help us and touch us this, this morning. The next few moments, let your word be strong. Let it accomplish the purpose for which it is spoken. And we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Just before you sit down, turn to the person next to you and say, for early Sunday morning, you're looking pretty good. While you're just shaking hands, let me uh, let me take uh, follow up with day of prayer. 
If you can be there, just two very powerful people are going to be there. Gianna Jessen. She is now a 42-year-old abortion survivor. Abortion is one of the greatest sins in our nation. And she survived. Her mom tried to abort her. And you will want to hear her testimony. She will inspire you. If you have a teenager, let me encourage you to get them there to hear that meeting. And then I always try to help out a young, struggling preacher. I try to give them an opportunity to preach. And John Gray of Relentless Church, and you'll see him preaching uh, on different television networks from Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church. He'll be there. He'll have a great word. I promise you it'll be a great day. I know you like worship because I know you like this house, and that's what it is. Not a lot of talk. I'll do less talking there than I'm doing today, but come, it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, as, as Pastor John said, I'm fourth-generation Pentecostal. My dad was a preacher. Grandfathers were preachers. And I remember growing up in a little home in Greenville, South Carolina. My dad worked at the post office. He delivered mail at the, during the day. He preached at night. He evangelized. And as a young boy, I remember one time in my life being very sick. I don't know what the sickness was, but I, I just knew I was in the bed sick. And the, dad, the, the, the evangelist that my dad would travel around with and preach with, they called him to come over and pray for me. They were going to anoint me and pray for me. And this man, you just kind of have to know it. He's old school Pentecostal. And when the Spirit of God got a hold of him, his eyes just got about as big as half dollars. And when he walked in, he walked in that way. There was no prime in anything. He was ready to go. And all I remember was this. They came over, they prayed for me. And the Spirit of God touched me and healed me. I got up out of the bed. I walked to the kitchen. And I began to eat. And I hadn't been able to do that. And if we were to go around this sanctuary this morning, no doubt if you've known the Lord any length of time, you certainly have had those experiences yourself. And you could stand and testify this morning of that, or you know of someone who has a testimony like that. And when those experiences come our way, you never forget it. You never forget the Spirit of God when it touches you and changes you and does something to your life. And we love those kind of testimonies. Those are the testimonies we like to, to, to read about. Those are the testimonies we like to watch on television. And it's real easy when those kind of times come and we hear those testimonies, we just say, oh God, more of that. Increase that anointing, increase that touch of God on my life, enlarge my tent, enlarge my territory. And those are moments of faith. And, and it's easy for us to think that it's just automatically going to come. That God's just going to give us a, a deluge and, and here we go right, right on through life. But what I have learned in my life, through the years of my life, is that the touch of God and the anointing of God on our life and the power of God is something that is not cheap. It's not something that's just easily handed out. And if God just did that, what I found many people are not able to handle the touch of God on. They're not able to handle what comes quickly in their life. And all of us have seen those people who seemingly it come quick, it come easy. 
Only later on they weren't able to handle what God had given to them. And we just, we expect it to come. But sometimes what I have learned in my life is God has to take me through a process. He has to take me through some things because what, what would happen if he did that? Many times, you see, we don't have the ability to contain what he wants to give us. Pastor John talked about Winterfest. In that Knoxville arena one year we were there and there were some 20,000 students who were there, and we always give an opportunity for an offering. And I remember doing that, and we always would give the money to inner city somewhere. And by the way, thank you for what you are doing for the House of Cherith. That belongs to us. The Church of God pastor is there running that, and my wife's on one of the boards there. We were there at 7 o'clock one morning this week for a meeting. It's unbelievable what God is doing. Thank you for that. And we would give an opportunity for people to give to that ministry. They come back to the office after the event, and they were counting the money. Now, this is a, a room full of teenagers. And when you give uh, an offering to a room full of teenagers, it's amazing what you get. You know, it's called filthy lucre. Believe me, money is nasty. And you would get a lot of nasty $1 bills. They would wad them up and make them look like footballs, you know, the kind where you make the goalpost and, and you flip them. And, and it's just really funny. And uh, one of the guys come running down the hall to me, and he said, look at this. And it was a check. Well, you don't get check from teenagers. But one of the ladies that was in the room had written a check, and I looked at it. And it was for $10,000. Oh, yeah, that, that got our attention. But I began to look at who it was. And the lady that had, was in the arena that wrote the check for $10,000, her husband was connected somehow or another with one of our churches, and he had won the lottery. Now, I'm not advocating playing the lottery. I don't play it. We don't do that. And so uh, he had won at that point in time what was the largest lottery in the history of the United States. He'd won a lot of money. And I remember at that time the discussion that had gone on about all the tithe money that was going to come into the church. And the reason I remember it was because you just love a good religious argument. And there were people that were talking about, okay, what are we going to do with this money? And there was some on one side who said, if we touch this money, we're cursed. That's an ungodly means of attaining money. And if we take that money, we're going to be cursed. Then on the other side, there was a group that was laboring and saying, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. <laughs> and so I'm listening to all this conversation going back and forth. And then this lady brings in this $10,000 check. And so what are you, you going to do with that? Let me tell you something. That check was in the bank by 5 o'clock that afternoon. I'm not the judge, but I was counting it and taking it. God can settle that issue. But as time would go on, what we would learn from this situation and what we learned from that lady who was in that arena who gave that money the history virtually of everyone who wins that lottery is they end up in bankruptcy. They lose everything they ever had. And the story with their life, they had a teenage daughter, the uh, uh, granddaughter. They gave her too much. They gave her cars. The story of her life was she overdosed on drugs. She lost her life. The couple wound up divorcing. 
And then the man virtually lost everything that he had. And the woman who was in that arena made this statement, this is the worst thing that ever happened in our life. What seemed like a blessing was a curse. Why? Because they never worked for the money. They never had the capacity to contain what they had been given. You go to lunch with a millionaire, and I've gone to lunch with a few of them. You're lucky if you can get them to even buy your lunch. And if they buy your lunch, they want you to leave the tip. Why? Because they understand the value of their money. They worked for the money. They labored for the money. Their capacity had been enlarged to be able to hold what they had been given. And the same thing is true in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes it's easy for us to pray, oh Lord, enlarge my territory, enlarge my borders. And then the very next thing that happens in our life, we find that all hell has broken loose. And we run back to our place of prayer and we say, God, evidently you didn't hear me. You didn't understand what I was talking about. I wanted more of you. I wanted more of your spirit, more of your power. Look what has happened. No, he got it. But what he is doing is he is enlarging our territory. He is enlarging our capacity to be able to hold what he wants to give us. Here's what is happening. There is a process sometimes that we have to go to. There is a stretching that God wants to take us through so that when he does give us more than we have ever had, that we will have the capacity to contain it. We will understand the struggle that we had to go through, that God's spirit and his power was really real through the difficulty. We proved his word, that his word was true, that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. And some of you might have come into this room this morning and you're wondering, where is God? What is going on in my life? Let me tell you this morning, he's setting you up for a greater dimension of him that you have ever known before. He's setting you up to be the devil's nightmare that after you walk through this difficult season, after you walk through this struggle and you gain victory over it and power over it, you'll be speaking to demonic spirits that you never could have spoken to had you not walked through this. There is coming like Job and after this in your life. You see, we want the anointing oil. We want that. There's some things I've learned about oil. The anointing oil that flows. It's a symbol of God's power working in our life. In Exodus chapter 30, God gave Moses the formula for the holy anointing oil. He said, take 500 shekels of myrrh, 250 shekels of cinnamon and Cassian cane and mix it with about a gallon of olive oil. Now all the other ingredients except the oil came from somewhere else. And understand the anointing of God and the power of God is not something you manufacture within yourself. It comes from God. It comes from his throne. He, he pours it as he wants to. But the oil was something that came from the region. It was indigenous to the region. And the only way they could get the olives to make the oil to mix it together they would go to the olive tree and do one of two things. They would beat the tree. 
They would take a long cane pole. They would beat the tree and the olives would fall to the ground. The other way they would get it is they would violently shake the tree. And the olives would come to the ground. And they would then begin to harvest the olives and take them to the place of preparation. And in this time in which we are living, men and women, brothers and sisters, the Bible says that everything that can be shaken, it will be shaken. So that those things that cannot be shaken, that they will remain. The earth is shaking, literally shaking. The government is shaking. Governments are shaking. Nations are shaking. There is coming a shaking to the world that's going to take it to its very core. But listen, at the end of the day, the book is going to stand. The word of God is going to stand. The cross of Jesus is going to stand because it cannot be shaken. And there are times in our life when he does come to shake us. But understand, everything that's going on around the globe today and everything that's going on in your life, the God that we serve, the God that we are worshiping, he's not nervous about it. He didn't get up this morning and watch whatever brand of news you want to watch and get nervous about it. He didn't have to take a Prozac to deal with it. And you shouldn't either because your life is in the hands of God and after the shaking there is an anointing that is coming to you and your witness and your testimony to him will be greater than it's ever been but you see there are two things I've learned in this process two principles I want to give you and I'm going to get out of your way number one is this you see we don't like process no we're instantaneous we want it, we want it now. A great fault of my character is I am impatient. I want it now. <laughs> and the Lord has helped me. He continues to refine my patience even this very week, and I'm not going into it. He just, he's, that old song, he's still working on me. That's where I'm at. Hey, you want popcorn? I was growing up, dad go to the stove, put it on there, the old eye. In a minute, we'd hear a pop, he'd go over there and start shaking it. The seasoned saints are nodding at me right now. The teenagers are going, this, this dude just flew in from Mars. In a minute. A tenfold cloud would appear after a couple of minutes and we'd have our pot. Now, just rip the cellophane off, go to the microwave, look for the popcorn symbol, push the button, go on about your business. And you got popcorn in two minutes. Instantaneous. And we think God's up. No, he's a process God. Here's what I've learned about. You'll never go to second base until you step on first base. And everybody wants to run around and everybody wants to be a superstar. And let me tell you something. When I see great men of God right now and I feel the touch of God on their life, I wonder to myself when I'm sitting there, what did they go through? What circumstances in their life did they go through that produced such an anointing and power of God upon their life? Because he just doesn't arbitrarily just throw it out to people. Here's what I've learned. In the process, two things. Number one, it's not about us. 
Now we'll just let that one just sink in there just a little bit. We'll just do a little plowing right here. We live in a society where it is all about us. I present to you this morning, if I were an attorney, Exhibit A, Facebook. It's all about me. Look who I'm with. Look what I'm doing. Look where I'm eating. Who cares? Eat your hamburger and go on about your life. I don't care. But it's just all, look at my friends. Look where I'm on vacation. Look what I am doing. And so what we do is we bring that same attitude to the house of God. Oh, this is about me. This is about my life. I didn't like the music. I didn't like the sermon. I buy y'all all the way down. Let me tell you something. It is not about us. It is not about me. It's not about you. It is about God. It isn't about his kingdom. It is his glory. It's his purpose. We were created for him. And so the Bible says in this story, the war that happened really between God and Satan and after God had created Satan and he fell, can you imagine how he must have felt? Somehow or another, I'm going to get back at God, but what could he do to God? God had all power. God had all authority. And I submit to you this morning, if there is anything God could have done, I mean, Satan could have done to God, he would have done it right then. But he could not. God was all powerful. God was omnipotent. And he hasn't lost any of it, even to this day. God created us. And there we are in the war. And Satan presents himself to God one day, and God says to him, where have you been? Running to and fro throughout all the earth. And God says to Satan, have you considered Job? Do you think about him? Here's what we know about Job. The Bible says there was a man. So this is not a fiction story. The Bible says about him, he feared God, he shunned evil. God had blessed him. He'd done real well in, the, in, in real estate. His stocks were good. He had sons, daughters, sheep, camels, donkeys. The Bible said he was the greatest man in all the East. And on top of that, he was the priest of his home. The Bible said he would get up every morning and he would make sacrifice for his children just in case. They had thought wrongly about God. And one day Satan appears, have you thought about him? And Satan says, oh yeah, I thought about him, but you got a hedge about him. You have blessed him. I can't get his possessions and his family. Satan says, you take that away and he will curse you. Satan says, all that, you have, all that he has is in your hands, but do not take his life. One morning, Job gets up. It's a beautiful morning like it is today. I can imagine he and his wife get up, and they have a great cup of, of, of Starbucks coffee, and they're reading the paper, watching the news. It's going to be a real nice day, and suddenly the Bible says that messengers come running in with some tragic news. Job, something has happened. We've had a tornado. 
Maybe some storms came through like last night. And, and your children, Job, they have been killed. They're all gone. All of your possessions are gone, Job. Messengers constantly coming in with that kind of word. What do you think his attitude would have been? What do you think the natural response would have been? I've never been through anything like that in my life. I've never lost a child. I know people who have lost children, and I cannot begin to even go through any, I can't even begin to enter in to, to begin to think how they feel. But in one day, he lost every child. He lost every possession. You would think that would be enough to break his back. But what did Job say? He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen, when difficulty comes, brothers and sisters, the greatest thing we can do is worship him in the middle of our crisis. Worship the Lord in the middle of our difficulty. For you see, that's the reason we were created. You weren't created to work a job, whatever it is. I wasn't created to stand up here and do this or be the administrative bishop of North Georgia or whatever it is. No, we were created to worship him, to give our life and our heart and our praise to him. And here's what happens. When you begin to praise, the devil backs up. He hates a worshiper. He hates a praiser. So wherever you are in the middle of your struggle this morning, you want the enemy to back away, you just begin to worship him. You may not know the future, but he's already in the future. And when you worship, the enemy will back away because he hates a worshiper. But you know what I found? I found the devil doesn't give up easily. Have you ever noticed that trouble comes in waves? This season of life my wife and I were going through the most difficult season of life we've ever experienced. Laying in the bed in the middle of the night. You see, you just think we just ride in here, administrative bishop, all that stuff he said. Oh, man, what a great life. Yeah, yeah, right. The season you couldn't sleep. You sleep two hours and wake up, what are we going to do? And I'm a type A personality, gotta be with what I do. Fix things. I'm that kind of personality. If I say one more thing, I believe that'll fix it. Walking through a difficult season, when I hear the Lord say to me, You're not gonna fix this one. No, you're gonna trust me. You're gonna lean on me. You're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. In the middle of that one, here comes another one. Because it's all designed to break your will and to break your spirit. And the Bible says that Satan runs back and God asks him, he says, have you thought about Job? Oh, yes. We took it all. But he still, but let me touch him and he will curse you. You see, that's still what it's all about. The battle is between God and Satan. And so God says to him, everything that is in his hands, you, it's all in your hands, except his life. 
You cannot take his life. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. He is the author and the finisher of life. He gives life, and he is the final say-so about life. The enemy cannot take your life. God is the one who says it is over. Your days will be fulfilled according to his will and according to his purpose for your life. And so you know the story. That Job is stricken with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And the Bible says he's sitting there in the ash heap. And then his friends come to comfort him. Don't you love friends when you're in the middle of a crisis? And you know, this is so bad. The situation is so bad. The Bible says that when they came to him, they didn't even recognize who he was. The Bible says the grief of Job was so great that for one week they sit there and don't say a word. What I found about friends when they came to me in the situation we're dealing with, then they started talking to us, well, maybe there's something wrong with your life. Maybe you've opened yourself up to something and, and maybe, you know, you, maybe you need to look introspectively in your own life and bye, 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 bye. You know what I wanted to say to him? Shut up. The story with Job was this. The Bible says he's the greatest man in the East. He worshiped him. He did nothing to deserve anything like this. But God allowed it to come for a reason. But then come those climactic words that Job... This, this is what he orchestrated the whole thing for. Come the words of his wife when she looks at the situation... She surveys where she had been. They had had great wealth. They had had great power. They had a great reputation. People would allow them to come and love them to come in. But now all of that stuff is gone. And she surveys. Her children are gone. Her grandchildren are gone. Let's think about it from her perspective for a moment. I'm not here to misalign his wife anymore. Oh, no. Let's take it from her perspective. This is the woman who stood over the grave of her children. She knew things about her children, and I submit to you this morning that she had empathy that Job never had. These were the children that she had nursed in her womb, that had kicked in her womb. She knew every inflection of their voice. She knew everything going on in their life. She had an empathy that Job never felt in his life. But now we come to this point, and she goes through it all. There would be no more communion and fellowship with, as a companion. It's all gone. And then she looks and says, why in light of all of this, why don't you just curse God and die? That was the moment, men and women, that the enemy strategized the whole situation. That was the breaking point. That was the moment that he wanted, that Job would look at God, that he would curse him. And let me tell you, there are times in our life, I remember walking the aisles praying, oh God, walking into my place of prayer, would you move? Oh God, would you deliver in this situation? In 21 days of prayer, I would quote, listen, I still, I still have the words right here. I still have the sheet 
that I would pray. Scriptures that I memorized. I just pulled that out of my Bible this morning. I hadn't used this Bible in a long time, but I pulled it out. These were the words that I would walk the floor and give the Scripture to the Lord. Will you not answer your word? What do you do when he doesn't come, when you want him to come? And be able to just sit there. What do you do when he doesn't come, when you want him to come? I remember sitting there, God, where are you? And there are times when you don't have words to speak, you don't have words to say. And what the enemy will do, the enemy will leave you sitting right here in your bitterness of your situation, in the bitterness of the past. But there comes a time when you have to just get yourself spiritually and say, God, I don't understand what you've done. I don't know why you have allowed this to come, but you are God. There's no other God besides you, and I will worship you in the middle of the crisis, though I don't understand what going to happen. You're still God and I still love you and I'm going to worship you regardless of what goes on. And when you do that, I'm telling you, it'll release a freedom. It'll release something in your life that you've never experienced before. Because here's what I learned. Second principle, I got to quit. Waiting, waiting, W-A-I-T-I-N-G. Waiting is not passive. Waiting. See, here's what would happen. They would get the olives and they would take it back and put it on that rock cistern. And what they would do is they would roll that rock around and crush the olives. And what would happen is the oil would flow to the middle. The oil that they were going to take and mix with the other spices and the other compounds, they would have to have the oil. They'd have to have about a gallon of it before they would pour it on the priest's head. The, the oil would run to the middle, but they didn't just run over and pick it up. What they had to do was wait. Why? Wait for what? You see, here's what had to happen. For God to pour his anointing, oil, and spirit upon you, the impurities had to be removed from the oil. You see, it's still about holiness. I'm not talking about the way it was 30 years ago. I'm not talking about the way we looked. That's not what I'm talking about. You can have the look And the inside be rotten to the core. And so what would happen is, and here's what I found. While I was waiting, while I was waiting on God to show up on my behalf, I found myself at that same place of prayer, walking back and forth. And people who had wronged me, I knew that people who wanted me, who wanted me out of their way, out of the church, who wanted everything about my life, who tried to kill me, and I knew it. Here's what I found myself doing. The Holy Spirit searching deep inside my heart, saying, let them go. Let them go. I'll deal with it.
And instead of cursing them, I found myself blessing them. I pray you would bless them, bless their homes, bless their children, bless everything about their house. You see, what has to happen is the, before God can pour fresh anointing, the impurities of our life have to be gone. And when does it happen? When he looks into the oil and sees his reflection in our life. Then he takes the oil and mixes it with the spices and pours out an anointing upon us that we never experienced before. And more of it because walking through the process, our capacity has been enlarged. And now I'm telling you, after that, there comes a suddenly moment. There comes a moment when what you have been praying for, it comes to pass. And what happens as a result of the process, there are demonic spirits that I can speak to today with authority because I have walked in front of them and seen the Lord deliver them. I'm just telling you today, like Job, there is an after this for your life. There is an after this that is coming. You just walk earnestly. You walk in faith. There's an anointing. It's a setup. It's a setup to destroy the devil. And what you thought come to kill you is the very thing that God will take out of the devil's hands. He will put it in your hands. It'll be a weapon against the devil. You'll be able to speak to people. You never would have been able to speak to had you not walked that way. There's an after this coming to your life in Jesus' name. Stand to your feet right now all over the house. Would you just lift your hands and worship him this morning? One Christmas while walking through this. I remember going in my bedroom and picking up my Bible, not this one. But I picked up another one. I just said, Lord, I need a word. Please give me something. And I certainly don't recommend just opening the Bible and plucking down your finger. But this night I opened up my Bible and it turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Where Paul just simply said this, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I read those words and Maybe you don't talk back to God, but I found myself just kind of talking back. I'm talking back to Paul right there. Talking back to the Lord. I said, you, you. see my impatience, you just. You call this light? It's almost like I could just hear Paul say back to me. How many prisons you been in, boy? 
How many shipwrecks you been in? Yeah. But here's what it says. It's but for a moment. But what's it doing? It is working for us. A far more exceeding eternal weight of his glory. What's it say? The process. First base. Second base. We're still in the process. Third base. But when this situation is over and we make it through it, the weight, the kabod, the presence of God is much more than it was if we never went through the process and eternally seeding weight of his glory. And you see, now when I when I talk about this, and I don't preach this. You see, I can't tell you that I did a thing. I can't tell you that what I did fixed it. All the glory goes to him. And you don't know how many people that we have talked to since walking through that who would hear the story and people would say, well, you, you need to call him. And I've stopped on the interstate and talked to people for an hour walking through this very thing. Here's what you got to do. I would never have been able to speak to it. I'd never been able to talk to it had I not walked through it. There is an after this for your life. And God's going to get the glory for whatever you're going through. Trust Him. Believe Him through the process. It is going to come. Lift your hands right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.